Hi, and welcome to The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And this week we're going to be talking about the Republican Iowa caucuses. <sighs> um, yeah. So before we get to that fucking, like, uh, I don't know, like, please give me the world's largest stress ball um, <laughs> situation. Uh, let, uh, what, Sarah, what you eating and what's eating you? Uh, well, it is. Uh, I'm. What temperature is it where you are, Matt? It is cold. Yeah, so here um, it is currently seven degrees in the last couple of days. It's been in the zero negative sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am the kind of kitchen hoarder that has two ice cream churns, so I can run two batches of ice cream at the same time. Fuck yeah. Uh, because they need winning. A, yeah, because they need a full 24-hour deep freeze cycle <laughs> to get back into uh, processing condition. It has been colder outside than it is in my chest freezer in the basement, so I set two of those ice cream churn bowls outside. They got absolutely frosty frosty cold um and then last night no two nights ago i made the ice cream base one is a ice cream uh uh, coffee ice cream with a little bit of cinnamon in it yeah and the uh the other one was a green tea uh vanilla bean and Mm -hmm. um by between the time of me finish if you've ever made ice cream like a french style hard ice cream base with the egg yolks Mm -hmm. you know that it's cooked so it comes off the stove quite hot yeah put it in a bowl i put it outside on the front porch and that motherfucker had a layer of ice encasing the hot um, stuff in the middle in, a, in less than 30 minutes. And I said, oh, oh, it's like that. So Satan's um, tits. Yeah. It is Satan's tits here. And then uh, it went over it went over like gangbusters. And I watched uh, my love just house uh, a total of 24 ounces of home churned ice cream. So uh, yesterday it was incredible. Uh, that's called real man style. Uh. <laughs> this is this is immediately after he had installed his own brand new water uh, heater. Like he had just built two like shelves that can hold a full water heater's worth of water, mm-hmm. like on us on like six by six legs. Uh, and then after that, he installed a water heater. And then I just like came. I just mm-hmm. like orgasmed just watching, just looking at it. So yeah, and, uh, so, and ice cream and ice cream appeared. Yeah, and then and then ice cream happened. So it was pretty great. I'm just saying for guys who want to know, if you really want to know how to make, you know, your lady friend love you, just do shit around the house. (laughs) Just be incredibly useful. That's really all it takes is um, you got to be super useful. I did think this morning um, uh, as a little dusting of snow, it was like 6 a.m. And I watched him brush off his car and then run over and brush off my car. And I've had... Mm -hmm. A lot of boyfriends who sucked, but some of the great things that even the sucky ones did is stuff like that. And anybody can do that. So when you're brushing off your car and your lady friends outside, brush off that car. She will love it. Yeah. Basics. Do the dishes. Yeah. Without yeah. being asked. And saying, um, I, I did the dishes. I don't know if you noticed, but I did the dishes. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, congrats. Fucking yeah. great. Or um, just what, um, make dinner. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be fancy. My boo mm-hmm. makes uh, bacon and Brussels sprouts, and it's super simple. It does it on the st- on the stovetop. It's delicious. We eat it in bowls, and then we have a great night. Um, but anyway, what about you, Matt? What's he- what are you eating? What's eating you? So it is also uh, freezing here. So mm-hmm. um, so we have like the first snow that's stuck in New York City in two years. 
Awesome. Yeah, which is just like, it is cold now, but it's been very end of the world vibes, you know, <laughs> for the entire rest of the winter. Um, but, uh, you know, my lady friend and I uh, decided similarly to you that it was a great time to, to make some food. Mm. So I had, uh, uh, we had a leftover chicken carcass. I keep all of my uh, meat stuff. So I uh, made just like a very basic, very simple chicken noodle soup. Mm. It's just, you make the stock from the chicken and Ugh. then uh, you take out all the, the bones and bits. And I'm just giving you a thing. You know, you just fucking have that thing going for, I don't know, I think it was four hours yep. in a pot. And then you strain, then you clarify it, you strain it out. And then I just added carrots, celery. We had some leftover onions from French onion soup. Oh, um, perfect. Yeah. And then made egg noodles on the side. Make your fucking carbohydrates on the side. Do not Thank add you. them directly to the soup. You Thank crazy you. monsters. They get mushy. Um, yeah. They get mushy and they soak up all of the liquid. Mm-hmm. It's gross. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so I made that. It, it was it was. Perfectly reasonable, but uh, my love made uh, homemade apple pie. Oh, and with uh, butter crust, right? Fuck yes. Yeah, and it is, it, it's insanely good. Um, so I quickly housed, I think, over a quarter of the pie <laughs> <laughs> uh, with vanilla ice cream, uh, uh, of Fuck course. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can't ask for better on a cold day. Oh, no um, kidding. And I had that, I had that like um, Great British Bake Off voice in my in my head about like soggy bottoms, <laughs> and that like when you make that that the the pastry crust it, has, it needs to be flaky and buttery, oh, yeah. and it was mm, all those things. Like you could oh. hear the crunch when you bit into it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is like um, this is caveman instincts. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like sometimes I'm so tired. Listen, if you're on a diet, I don't want to fucking know about it. Please don't tell me about it. It's so boring. But when people are like, oh, it's like, it's all I want to do is eat carbs. Like, yeah, that's correct. That's your survival instincts kicking right in. Like, mm-hmm. uh, carb- consuming carbohydrates stimulates the production of gray fat. Some people call it brown fat, but heat producing fat. Um, and when you are a cave person, if it was extremely cold, you would seek out your food sources to create extra calories mm-hmm. to be warm. Just eat the pie. Eat the soup, eat the stew, just eat it and enjoy it. And don't fucking worry about it. It's zero degrees outside. You can go to the gym when it's 25. I also decided that if I ever find a magic lamp and I get one wish, (laughs) I've decided that my wish is going to be that for all humanity, for all of time, (laughs) anything they eat provides them perfect nutrition. (laughs) It's good for them. I love this. I love this. I love this so much better than that. I would make sure that all dessert has no calories. Like, no, I would make sure that all food was had so much good stuff in it that even when you eat a huge pile of strawberry cheesecake with extra crust on top, uh, you would still have you'd have perfect nutrition. You'd go run a marathon. Exactly. (laughs) Because can you imagine? First of all, it kills two birds, one stone. First, for people who like to overeat. (laughs) or eat junk, it doesn't matter. It's perfect. And people who don't have enough calories, now you do. Boom. Boom, baby. Got you. I'm just saying, no matter how much or how little you eat, it's perfect. Also, I didn't realize. Now, this is so, this is very silly of me to be this ignorant of the variety of the human condition. But, like, I occasionally get reminded that some people do not like eating or, like, Mm -hmm. don't like sex or don't like, you know, all the things that I like, right? Don't like showers. Don't like, you know, 
or think like taking a hot bath is gross. Yep. Uh, you know, there are some people who are just not into it and they will not be able to feel the same joy uh, as you and I will. So if if you get a tremendous amount of joy from something as simple as eating or taking a nap or having sex, you should do a lot of those things. Yeah. And uh, if you are one of those people, dear listeners, who does not enjoy any of those things, share that with us. Tell us about uh, yeah. what it's like if you've experienced judgment. You know, explain to us the situation because I think you can tell uh, Sarah and I are uh, very driven <laughs> by those, <laughs> by highly motivated by sleep, food, and sex. Um, yeah. So uh, I'd just be interested to hear it because I have one friend, uh, one friend who's ace, uh, mm-hmm. but romantic, and I have a friend who's aromantic but not ace. And like, it's really, it's 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 just fascinating hearing their perspectives, and we just love to hear it uh, from all of you. Yeah. So we need to uh, stop dancing around um, <laughs> the giant Cheeto in the room. Um, so our our next national nightmare has officially begun. Here we go. Uh, yesterday was uh, – so we're recording this on Tuesday, January 16th. So last night, Monday, January 15th was the Iowa Republican caucuses. It was also insanely cold there. So, uh, turnout was down, but, uh, well, I mean, let's not spoil it. Let, 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 I mean, it's already spoiled, but let's not, let's not beat around the bush. Like Trump won. By of course. And, so, and, to be fair, in 2016, Ted Cruz carried the Iowa caucuses. So, you know. It's, so in it's, so mm-hmm. since 1980, do you know what the largest margin of victory had been in an Iowa caucus uh, to date until yesterday? Until the largest yesterday. Largest margin. Largest margin? 40%? The largest margin of victory previously was 12%. Oh, no. Oh, it no. It was Bob Dole. In 1988. I Sorry, real quick. Fuck directly off here. Thank you yeah. so much. So Trump, as of writing, Trump's margin is 30% uh, um, in Iowa. So I wanted to contextualize mm-hmm. the enormity of Trump's victory here. I know that there's a lot of like bullshit punditry that's all about like expectation setting. I'm like, I don't really care about your expectations in like the three weeks leading up. I want to put this in just like the very basic historical context. Um, it's also um, shocking to me how much like I had this conversation with my love's brother, which is like, you know, we use the phrase a lot. Wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, Trump wouldn't piss on any of supporters if they were on fire. But, like, if someone happened to waltz by with a tray of, say, marshmallows and sticks and Diet Cokes, he might just camp out and roast a few on the burning corpse of his followers. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he might piss on them if they weren't on fire. That's correct. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's exactly right. And what is, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you're going to get into this, but so frigid fucking temperatures in Iowa. If you've never been to Iowa uh, or, like, um, uh. I used to play sports. I'm from Evansville, Indiana, Southern Indiana. And I used to play sports with all these um, outer county um, 
uh, high schools, which are like in the middle of a fucking cornfield. And an amazing thing happens to the wind across a large span of cornfield, which is that uh, it blows very, very hard and very straight. And it kind of acts like a refrigeration. So if you sweat out there in the tennis court, it will just like chill you immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, So however cold it gets in your mountainous place, I want you to know it gets so much fucking colder in places like Iowa. And and what's shocking is like this calls this sort of motivated group of voters down to the most motivated to go to the polls, right? Like, and who, Matt, are the most motivated voters on this green burning earth? Well, cult members. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. That like so out of Iowa's <laughs> 170,000 ish register uh, like like primary like eligible voters only 15% of them showed out for this showed up yeah. for this um turnout was way down mm-hmm. um and it it did crack me up when they were like in an unforeseen circumstance I'm like it being bone ass cold in Iowa in January mm-hmm. is an unforeseen circumstance yeah Thank I mean, you. if it's unforeseen for your political uh, operation that it could be cold in <laughs> Iowa in January, like, you don't get to be president. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, Fuck. Oh, oh, so I, I just want to make a quick aside on the stupidity of the election night coverage. Mm. Um, I flipped around between ABC, NBC, CBS. Mm. Um, and... If you had just, if you had come down, never, like, and not, and like blacked out since 2015, you would have thought they were talking about, like, oh, Mitt Romney's gonna win this. Oh, Mm -hmm. like, John McCain's gonna win this. George Mm H.W. Bush is gonna win this. We are talking about a guy facing over 90 felonies, torching the field and watching his enemies flee before him. Like, this isn't, like, this is a guy who, like, has been adjudicated in a federal court to have participated in an insurrection. And they're just like, oh, you know, this is going to be a big night for the front runner. Like, I just want to get that off my chest that it drove me crazy the whole night. The part, the pause that you just heard, dear listeners, was Matt and I both just rubbing our faces for a quick second, just from like... (laughs) January, pre-January 2024 exhaustion. Like, we just had to both have a moment of, like, uh, I can't. It's not, okay. Like, is there anyone in the earth, on the earth, more motivated than people who are facing consequences for the first time after a lifetime of wrongdoing? Mm -hmm. Um, And in doing so, like, the shielding of the ego like requires them to believe that this is a product of um, some sort of persecution. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I thought it was very sweet. I'm going to say, I'm going to call it sweet. It was ah. very sweet that Nikki Haley got up and she said, if you're not here for grudges, if you're not here for um, uh, vendettas, come on team Nikki Haley. And I'm like, bitch, who are you talking to? Who the are you talking to on the right wing that's not there for vendettas so interesting piece so haley came in third so i'm just going to get the the raw numbers out of the way yes please trump trump got 51 percent of the vote oh DeSantis, 
Yeah. DeSantis, 21%. Haley, 19%. Ramaswamy, 8%. I want to note that both that Asa Hutchinson is not even listed. Um, mm, great. Both Hutchinson and Ramaswamy both dropped out. Great. Uh, um, immediately afterward, Ramaswamy uh, then uh, immediately endorsed Trump. I just want to make that clear. So you're asking, who is Nikki Haley talking to? Nearly half of caucus goers for Nikki Haley were either independents or Democrats who had temporarily switched oh their God. party registration to Republican to try to stop Trump. Oh my God. It's, this is so embarrassing. Like I give big credit to anybody who does whatever they can to try to stop Trump. Like, sure. and if you think Nikki Haley voting for Nikki Haley is the best way to do it, is what you can do. Part of what you can do. Great. I'm, I'm all for you. Because I think Nikki Haley would be a terrible president, but not existentially threatening yep. to the United States. That's correct. And I want to note, in twenty six in the twenty sixteen election, I knew people who switched uh, to who, their party affiliation Republican to vote for Ted fucking Cruz. Like Nikki Haley, voting for Nikki Haley is much easier than voting for Ted Cruz. So like, <sighs> but I want to note here that like this, Nikki Haley is not appealing. To the base of the Republican Party. Um, well, first of all, she has yeah. a vagina, which they fucking hate that. Like A brown they, vagina. Ew! Like, you know, they... I. If part of your party is, like, coming at you with, I actually don't think women should vote at all. Yep. Um, and you're like, you know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be a Republican woman candidate. Like, <laughs> why don't you just go ahead and be a sheep uh, and call yourself part of the lions eating faces party 2024 yeah like we can ask you know so there are republicans i know who are just like you know republicans put out the first woman on a major ticket and i'm just like i don't need your geraldine ferraro crap um like we put (laughs) like we have literally a woman of color as our vice president right now we put up uh hillary clinton a woman in our 2016 Sorry, you actually have to, like, you know, put them in office. Anyway. Um, I, I'm so tired of it. Yeah. So just ask Tim Scott how being a black Republican <laughs> is working out for him, right? <laughs> uh, so, like, this is not a small victory. Like, there were three – so I had three scenarios coming in that first – first is the Trump overperformance. Trump wins 60 or 70 percent of the vote, immediately ends the race. Yep. Second, that Trump performs about as expected, which is about 50%. Yep. Um, and this then means that it drags on to New Hampshire with both DeSantis and Haley, because the only way for DeSantis or Haley to challenge Trump is for one of them to drop out and endorse the other. Yep. But the middle scenario with this, what happened is the most likely scenario. Both DeSantis and Haley get close enough that neither end, and then they continue on as a three-person race into New Hampshire, where Haley and DeSantis split the vote again, and Trump wins and ends the primary. The third scenario is where Trump underperforms, and one of Haley or DeSantis overperforms, but that seemed unlikely and and did not happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that the mechanics of what's going to happen going forward is actually not that interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about some other things, but I just want to lay this out here. Like for anyone who's thinking about, whoa, what's going to happen? Ignore all the noise. The most likely outcome is that 
DeSantis and Haley are going to keep attacking each other. Haley has a slightly better chance in New Hampshire because there are more independents in New Hampshire than there are uh, in Iowa. Iowa is one of the most conservative Republican parties. Trump, though, and but the thing is, Haley and DeSantis are gonna, still going to be splitting the anti-Trump vote. So what we're going to see most likely is that Trump wins New Hampshire and ends the primary. Yep. Because DeSantis and Haley can't get their shit together. And by the time one of them drops out, it's already too late. Again, we're, you know, like what what is really frustrating, I think, to me when we talk, when uh, liberals or Democrats are like, well, half the country believes in Trump. No. Once again, No. Trump happens to motivate an incredibly motivated and mobile group of voters. They are not representative by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, they're not even representative inside the Republican Party, I still don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we have now is uh, a bunch of people who feel, again, united in that sort of um, persecution complex. And they are going to show up like this is these are people to whom... <laughs> My, my first job was working in a um, uh, really small criminal defense law firm. And I was working at like the front desk and I would draft. These are the people who, after you've explained to them that if they try to go over to their spouse's house that they beat the shit out of who has a protective order against them, that the sheriff will come and they will get arrested. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can explain this three times, four times, 10 times, 20 times. And they'll mm-hmm. say, I'm just going to run over there real fast. And then you have to call the sheriff's department and be like, Hi, yeah, it's me again. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, he's on his way. And they mm-hmm. say, okay, this is this is the Trump voter. This is Trump. This is, but not for me. Like, oh, yeah. no, I, you can explain the rules to me all I want and all you want. And I will nod and understand them and then say, but not me. And then go on with what I was going to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what's funny to me, I guess, bitterly ironic is probably <laughs> the words I was looking for. Is that this is not even a new mistake mm-hmm. that Republican Party is making. This is the same mistake they made in twenty in the 2016 primary. Mm-hmm. When you had Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and all those chuckle fucks splitting the anti-Trump vote until it was too late. Because they all thought that maybe if Trump dropped out or imploded, maybe if something happened, then they can pick up the pieces. And then it didn't happen. And it was too late by the time they got their shit together. And the real question, honestly, at this point to me, is when Trump wins the nomination, which is by far the most likely outcome, does Nikki Haley say openly that Trump needs to go, that her supporters should vote against him? Yeah. I don't think she will. I definitely know Ron DeSantis won't because he wants to pick up those Trump voters in 2028 as if there's going to be an election in 2028 if if Trump wins. DeSantis is – the thing – okay. The thing that gets me about all of these people is they they have to hope Trump loses in 2024 Mm -hmm. or else there ain't going to be an opportunity for them in 2028. They have to rely on the rest of us doing our civic duty. As usual, like, again, same with the pandemic, same with 2020, which is Mm -hmm. like, simultaneously, we know that Trump creates a, a society too unstable for us to actually like reliably reap the actual, the literal profits from the world that they're trying to create Mm -hmm. with, with Republican legislation. 
but they they're not gonna do it. They're they're like, no, no. I saw what happened to um, oh my god, Lindsey Graham. I saw what happened to Lindsey Graham. Mm-hmm. I saw those lunatics buy plane tickets for the sole excuse of chasing him down uh, the aisle of an airport. Like I'm not I'm not gonna be that. Like here's the thing. It's like I in Australia when they had their the the last mass shooting uh, that led to the full banning of guns on the continent slash country. Mm-hmm. Um, the Republican politician said, well, we got to stop this. We're going to lose our jobs. This is going to end our careers. It is the morally right thing to do. There is nothing else that is more important to us than this power that we have to do this in this political moment. And boy, doesn't, isn't that just quaint? Doesn't that just feel quaint to you as an American? You know, it, it does, it, it does strike me as like, the fact that we're lionizing people like Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney in this moment for doing the bare fucking minimum. Bare minimum, baby. Yeah. Um, and too late, by the way. Doing the bare mm-hmm. minimum, bare mm-hmm. minimum, too late, uh, <laughs> is just a sign of how far the rest of the Republican Party has fallen. They will neither do the bare minimum, nor will they do it too late. They will simply not do it. You know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, like... I get, so this is why I think that like, you know, the actual analysis of this is pretty pedestrian, right? It worked the way that we thought it would. Um, This is, uh, like the Republican Party is still the party of Trump, period, end of story. Like, this is where we have been, this is is Groundhog Day. Yep. Um, Who cares that the Groundhog is rabid and a felon, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like... Sorry, allegedly a felon. Allegedly. Um, allegedly a felon. Um, no, we have an insurrectionist groundhog. It doesn't fucking matter. Um, that I don't have to say allegedly because it's been adjudicated in federal court. Um, that like... I personally, and this is what I'm more interested in because I'm interested in like where you are, is that like I was trying to do my normal sort of like rational, analytical, quantitative, you know, analysis, getting myself ready for today's episode last night. And the entire time my brain is screaming at me, like, we need to renew our passport. We need to make you go back and make sure all of our papers are in order. Like, where's that list of places that, that you, you could move to and like uh, uh, be an expat for if you needed to. And like, then I went and I checked those things. Everything's fine. I'm fine. Um, But I I just want for those of our listeners out there who are not in a situation like mine, but are seeing a lot of the people in their life, like, exhibit signs of PTSD and freak the fuck out. Um, It's because, like, I had, after the January 6th, I just tried, I've had to sort of live my life knowing but trying to ignore the fact that Trump could happen again. Um, Because grappling with that every day was just too existentially disturbing to actually, like, you know, um, thrive with that uh, psychological pressure. But, like, there's no ignoring it now. And... Um, I'm interested for you, like, how is this, what is this evoking in you? Like, what are you feeling? Like, uh, where, where are you? Uh, 
my first thoughts about this is, um, uh, let's see, QAnon Anonymous did a great, um, Talia Lavin, I believe was the guest on that show, but um, uh, it's about MAGA martyrdom. And like uh, January 6th was a disaster uh, by by all, like uh, from a PR perspective, from like a logistics perspective, they accomplished nothing. Their most, you know, loyal and motivated lieutenants are now in federal prison. Some of them are getting out now, which is like kind of a whole mm-hmm. problem unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the QAnon Anonymous episode was about the sort of manufacturing of MAGA martyrs, and one of them being, of course, Ashley Babbitt. Um, and what's really interesting about, you know, and when we when we compare like the concept of martyrdom to religious martyrdom, or for example, um, uh, fundamentalist like right wing um, uh, Islamic terrorists in the Middle East, like you know, they're, they're part of this like. Um, oh my gosh, xenophobia was just like, oh, like this crazy idea, right? Like when we talk about um, kamikaze pilots in World War II, it's like, oh, these crazy people who would die for the cause. And what's really frightening to me about right-wing American, if you will, MAGA martyrdom is that dying is not is does not have to be part of the equation to make you a martyr. Mm-hmm. Um, just being prosecuted is enough to make you a martyr. Like facing any consequences is enough to take up the sort of mantle of martyrdom. Um, and like, again, this all goes back to sort of like the central motivating, um, sort of emotion that created Trumpism, but, um, you know, that, that there has been enough gap between time gap between, uh, January 6th and just the Trump presidency generally that all of these new narratives have been fermenting and kind of bubbling up to the surface. And while they are fundamentally disconnected to reality, like most Trumpisms and the things motivating Trump voters, like they, they, they've like managed to manufacture more powerful myths about Trump and sort of Trumpism than they ever had prior to him being in the presidency. And that concerns me most of all, because like, obviously in 2016, I remember crying on the phone to my parents who had recently confessed to me drunkenly that they were Trump voters. And I was like, regardless of whether or not Trump is a proud rapist, proud sexist, like talked about his one, his newborn baby in terms of how sexy she might be one day. That's real. That's real. You should look it up. He's talking about Tiffany. Um, where he said, uh, well, he certainly, she certainly has her mother's legs. We'll see if she has her mother's and then motions to her, to his, to tits. Um, so he's talking about his baby daughter that he's instantly sexualizing all beside the point is once we move away from the concept of a shared collective reality, shared truth, like anything is possible, right? Like, and I mean that in a bad way. I don't mean like anything, (laughs) anything can happen. I mean like, oh fuck, anything could happen. Um, like invisible is, velociraptors. That yeah, can yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what I worry about more than anything is, uh, we are so far from a shared reality. Like, mm-hmm. as soon as fake news started, like we just lost this kind of thing that we all used to share, and like forms the basis of whether or not we can have a peaceful society. <laughs> And I hope a lot of these people um, continue to not get vaccinated. I hope they continue to, like, seek out um, kook cures. Um, I hope they continue to take ivermectin if that's what they choose to do. Like, 
um, flatly, Matt, between you and me, I need more of these people to die. I don't want them to get killed. I don't want a civil war. I need more of these people to die in the way that most Trump supporters are destined to, which is by ignoring a government warning label. <laughs> I, 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 I thank you for clarifying that so I don't have to issue um, our standard disclaimer. Um, I lo- So this like imaginary persecution phenomenon, <laughs> like this fantasy of persecution, it really, I have lost patience for it. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily because I have found with my conversations with Trump voters that they are so married to their imaginary persecution that it blinds them to the actual persecution and oppression in the world Mm -hmm. that like they are so enraged by the persecution that they imagine Joe Biden may be doing, but isn't. Mm-hmm. You, you ask them in their lives, have you experienced this? It's like, no, but I read this Facebook post by a friend of a friend about his third cousin, right? Well, you know, Newsmax told me th- it's never happened to them, but they have this fantasy. It's the same fantasy they have of like, you know, massaging their handgun and, and imagining about a black man breaking into their home and then they're That's the correct. fucking hero, right? They're so wedded to that, that when you're like, you know, Trump was thinking about denaturalizing immigrants and stripping them of citizenship and rights. And this is something that Stephen Miller, who's still in Trump's circle, has openly said that they will try to pursue in the second term. Like, I am an adoptee. These people in your life are all immigrants and they will, they will, they have promised to try to strip them of citizenship and rights. Like, and they're, and they're just like, now won't happen. Uh, (laughs) And you're just like, I don't, or, or, or like, I don't know how to tell you, like, how can, how, we, it's not even that we're not in the same reality. It's just like, you are, the thing is that bothers me is that they want me to take their fantasies seriously, but they treat the reality as fantasy. Yeah. And like, I don't know how, there is a limit There is a limit to empathy and care for people who live that way. I just, I am reaching that breaking point. I'm not saying that I'm going to start punching every Trump supporter I see in the face. Obviously, that's not the case. We reserve that for Nazis like Richard Spencer. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't want to read any more of the, oh, like, we need to understand Trump voters better. It's like, no, no, we understand them real fucking well. Yeah. It's like the the people who have understand white people the best in the United States are are, are non-white people. I was just going to say that. Yes. Yes. Like Right. Uh anytime you have to live with oppressors. Like do I I think in the same way I think women have a better understanding of yes. men in male culture than men do. Like yeah. Oh, 100%. Like by far the most useful insights I get about the men in my life are from the women in my life. <laughs> 100%. But but again, like you said, like this is like there's this kind of like centrism is where brains go to die. I think like 
You know, mm-hmm. like when you go to like self-identified centrists or independents is when you find like some of the dumbest people you'll ever meet in your entire life. Like and I mean more so than like hard Trumpers is you'll find them in the goddamn middle. And they're mm-hmm. so fucking proud of themselves for being in the fucking middle. But when I say that centrism is a place where brains go to die, like it's like my mother, who is a very smart woman. My mom is not mm-hmm. stupid, but she's so locked to this idea that like. Uh, our our old friend from the original iteration of this podcast, a reasonable person, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she was part of the original wave of women voting for the legalization of abortion. And she said, well, no one actually wants to get rid of that. Like, like <laughs> no one actually wants to, like in, in practice. And I'm like, you know what? You're actually right. Like, no one actually wants to do this in practice. We're not there anymore. We're yeah. not we're not in like practical land where like <clears throat> laws apply to, to practical reality. Like, we Republicans will go Republicans, Trumpist Republicans. Their main concern is punishing everybody else in the way that they feel that they have been punished by existing as white people in the United States. You know what I mean? Yes. And, it, and, and what's crazy. So I, I, I think about it in the way of like, they hate the fact that when they have to talk, to, when they when when they say racist things now, people call them out for it. Yeah, and their response to feeling ashamed is that they would rather lock that person up. <laughs> right? They're just like, I feel incarcerated, even though I'm not. <clears throat> so is- I'm gonna actually incarcerate you. <laughs> and the kind of um, this is like my old college roommates. A horrible, horrible racist boyfriend who ended up threatening to kill himself um, when she left him, and she said, "Okay, good luck with that." And then she left anyway. Um, Which is, by the way, the right that's move. How, that's how you handle that. Um, yeah. You say, "Well, anyway, good luck with all that," and then you fly home and never mm-hmm. ever speak to them again. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is the kind of racist where he would just say the n word, and we can't control him, so we'd say, "Hey, not here, not in our apartment, mm-hmm. not in our living space." Like. Do whatever you want outside here. We have no control of you, but this is a house rule. No slurs. Mm-hmm. No slurs in the house. Um, and he said, it's fine. My black coworker thinks it's hilarious. And I'm like, oh, I guarantee your black coworker does not find that funny at all. He is afraid of you because the kind of lunatic who would say the N-word in public like that emboldened is the kind of person who will put a bullet in the back of your head if they determine that you're taking something of theirs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Your black coworker was never okay with it. They have no concept of how to handle somebody being so virulently and proudly racist out in public. Oh, they they know how to handle it. You just fucking <laughs> and then yeah. walk the other way. Yeah, yeah, um, because the kind of silencing and social pressure that some white Americans are now feeling for their overt racism is the kind of like silencing and social pressure that people of color and women have been feeling essentially through the entirety of American history. Yeah, yeah. That like, you know, it's the same way that like, you know, all the benighted racist white academics saying that they're being persecuted and not getting jobs for being too conservative. I'm like, what do you think leftist academics have been dealing with for basically the entire of American history? It is illegal to teach. uh, (laughs) This is crazy, but true. It's illegal to teach about anarchism. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Which, 
doesn't actually get enforced. It's just one of those zombie laws that's still on the books, but doesn't actually get enforced. Yeah. Um, and like, so they're openly anarchist American professors now, like no yep. one actually enforced, but this was an actual law that was enforced back in like the McCarthy days, like of course, back, back in the day. But like, I want to note that even like the cancel culture left, none of, no one's passing fucking legislation telling you that it's like that, like, you know, uh, that uh, race, that racist college professors needs to go to jail. Yeah. There you go. Right. There you go. We're just, just like, we just don't want you to, you know, say the N word in class. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> that's really all. And, and oh my God, my favorite thing, I have a college professor who like still tries to get me to fuck him, even though he doesn't realize that he's missed his therapy window for me, like thinking mm. it'd be sexy to fuck one of my old college professors. Like, mm-hmm. dude, you missed that window by like a decade, my guy. Yeah. Like, you know, no, no pun intended. Give it the old college try. But, <clears throat> you know, this is the kind of dude who felt very, like, persecuted by the fact that at some point in the last few years, um, like, administrations had to be like, hey, don't fuck your students. I don't know. I guess we I guess we do have to say this out loud. So we're going to go ahead and say it. Don't fuck your students. Like, so, for us. So, so the law school I went to, it is against school rules for adjunct professors and TAs to fuck current students say it say it i know what you're gonna say but for tenured professors here we go <laughs> it's still allowed as they as long as they're not actively your student right now and the reason for this is every time they try to pass the rule fuck off the faculty committee shoots it down fuck off and i don't fuck know off. if right and i don't know if this is true right now but as of the last time I checked a couple years ago, the head of that faculty committee is a very is a somewhat high profile professor who has married one of his students. Yeah, there we go. There we go. And while I was still in school, was openly asking students out on dates the moment they were no longer his student. Hell yeah, here we go. So he was looking for student wife number two. Fuck yeah, he was. Yeah. Um this was just an open secret. Yeah. Right? And I have to say, I, as a professor, he was a great professor. I learned a t- <laughs> shit ton about torts. He and I got along personally really well. He's still a creep. Yeah. And that still should be against the rules. Like, And the thing is, is that, like, also, I want to note, not a white dude. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Even better. Um, also, he was the kind of, like, Asian-American professor who, like, couldn't pronounce the Asian students' names. And like, anyway, it was a whole fucking thing. It he sounds... liked me because I guess I was one Asian student whose name he could pronounce. Holy fuck. Holy fuck, dude. But the point being that like, like there are groups of people who are coming up against, I would say like knee-high walls <laughs> of like sort of <laughs> basic sensical how to comport yourself in these. Mm-hmm. And like, hey, I know that this power sure is intoxicating. It's like Greek Uzo. Like you just tossing that back and all of a sudden you are drunk as a skunk on this power. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask you to just like, just shoot like one shot and maybe sip it. And all these people in charge are like, oh, come on. Oh, boo. Okay. So I want to add something here. So Nehi, incidentally, is I want to add something fun and interesting. Okay. So Nehi is a theater company, is the name of a theater company, British theater company. For those of you who aren't aware of the uh, theater system in Britain, it's almost all entirely funded by public grants. 
Awesome. So that means that things like Nehi, who like own a farm, basically where they <laughs> where they workshop all their shit for years, um, I got to see them several years ago. They they were in New York. They were in Brooklyn, in like in a bit, an old warehouse that got turned into a theater, doing a version of Tristan and Isolde. Amazing. Which had no words in it. The characters oh. sang and stuff, but basically just made noises to communicate with each other, and in which. The music was provided basically by a live funk band. Awesome. <laughs> and it was one, and who then did other genres as well, but it was one of the most beautiful and moving things I've ever seen. Fuck and yeah. also weird as hell, as you can yeah. imagine. But like, they assumed everybody there knew about Tristan and his alt. Like this is, you knew the story. Yep. So it was gorgeous and wonderful and like exactly the kind of thing that I feel should be more in the world. I don't need more jukebox musicals. Fuck you, Broadway. Uh, sorry, I need to get that off my chest. But if you're ever interested in, in experimental theater, Nehi is a good one to see if they're coming through your town. Fuck anyway, yeah. So this is what I mean about like imaginary persecution. That like, I'm sure my former professor feels that he's being unfairly singled out. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, in fact, a great conversation that I had with one professor old white guy he was in his 90s at the time he said that one of his colleagues retired at another institution when that rule got passed when that one of those rules got passed because he's like then what the fuck is the point of being a professor (gasps) (laughs) that he basically viewed part of his compensation was being able to fuck his students Oh my god. Oh, I want to break both of his kneecaps. Because, like, he could get with his pension, you know, he could be emeritus and he didn't really have to teach. He just get paid to do nothing. The only reason he stayed an active professor and had students was to figure out which of them he could sleep with. <gasps> oh. Yeah. But this is what I mean that, like, the person who views the end of that. Yeah. The end of being able to just, you know, be an awful human being to everyone mm-hmm. around you with no consequence. Who views that as persecution. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm going to say there are a lot of Trump voters out there when you're just like, wait, exactly what are you mad about? <laughs> and then they're talking about shit again, like the 34th Facebook post of their eighth cousin twice removed. Like it, it is the... Um, it is the uh, speech that Dark Helmet gives to uh, our protagonist in Spaceballs. <laughs> You're my brother's sister's like third cousin's ex roommate, <laughs> right? It's that, but not a joke. Um, so what does that make us? Nothing. Um, trying to, and the fact that they won't engage with reality or what's actually happening. I just like, I fundamentally, I'm just. I have to say, I am compassion fatigued. That's exactly right. Same. That's exactly how I feel. And the thing is, like, um, I follow, I, I, can I just give a couple of, like, great fitness recommendations for people who Please. are, like, lovely, uplifting human beings? But one of them is this a bitchy Italian man who I <laughs> love so, so, so much. Um, but his name is 
James Capola, C-A-P-P-O-L-A. But mm-hmm. he just takes down, there's like this, you know, obviously in the fitness community, there's so many just like horrible, toxic people. And he kind of shouts these people down in a way that like is actually in the tone that they deserve, right? Like mm-hmm. that is compassionate towards the people that these fitness fucks are making fun of because like they're in there, they're in the gym, they're doing their thing. Like progress doesn't happen all in one day. If you spend your life calling yourself a fitness influencer and all you do is make fun of fat people in the gym, then truly what the fuck do you even want right yeah but this is how i feel towards trump voters which is like you know i i can't i don't know i have i'm I'm not gonna have any more compassion with people who don't want white students to learn about mlk and the fact that like black americans live with a life-threatening level of stress and discomfort by coexisting with their white americans like just being there like it doesn't matter if no one has a swastika on their car or like thinks it's funny to wear a KKK hood for like just coexisting, not knowing what you're going to get out of every single white person is a kind of chronic stress. Like that though, that they're worried about these little, these little Chad feelings rather than being able to have the compassion for the black experience in America, you know? So like, so when I, I lived in Indiana, um, I lived a couple doors down from a house that had the largest Confederate flag oh that you can God. imagine just hanging at, around outside. And once it blew down, it was the first thing that went back up. Great. And like, at first I just kind of laughed about it. And, but then I realized that every single time I interacted with that neighbor and only that neighbor, I was terrified of them. There and it go. wasn't, anything overtly that they did. I also knew that they owned guns, which, you know, doesn't help. Um, But like, even if they did not perceive that as a threat, I interpreted it just intrinsically as a threat to my safety and well-being because that's what that, that means. Yep. So like every interaction with that person from my end was laid in, with terror. Yeah. Right. I was, I'm polite to everyone. Yep. I was extra polite to them because if I said the wrong thing to them, I have no idea what I was going to get. Right. My other neighbors, like if their kids were like, you know, being too loud, I mean, Hey guys, can you turn it down? I never fucked with that other neighbor because like who fucking knows. And like that guy, again, probably has no conception or maybe he does. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he had no idea of the kind of what he was, the feelings he was evoking in me. Yeah. But at the same time, I have no doubt that if I told him he would give zero fucks. In fact, I think that the effect was the intended effect was like the exact intended effect. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to be generous. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So like, I mean, it's like the the statistics about like black stress. Like one of the reasons why black Americans have worse health outcomes is that they're just stressed out of their fucking minds all the time because being around white people is terrifying. Exactly. Um, And like, like black Americans sleep fewer hours, not because they hate fucking sleep. It's because it's stressful and keeps you up at night being black in America. (laughs) That's just the way it is. And like, I'm asking all of our listeners out there who like interact with Trump voters in their lives and have the bandwidth to do it is that like, I'm just out. I'm not in a part of the country that is a battleground state. I'm just going to make that very clear. 
So technically, just, neither am I. Yeah. So like, but we need to, in the battleground states. If you live in a battleground state, you know Trump voters. Like, we need you to engage with them and try to persuade them. I know that that's unlikely to do anything, but like, we are relying on you doing that. Can I can I make a suggestion for our white yeah. listeners? Um, in 2016, the uh, don't vote in Georgia to protest the quote unquote stolen election was actually incredibly effective. Um, if you're white, I need you to pretend to be a Trump voter. This will be infinitely more <laughs> yeah, I love effective than yeah. any convincing them to, to, to leave or join the other side. If I were you, you you start talking to people to Trump voters and saying like, they're not gonna, they're not going to trick me into voting in another rigged election. And when they're like, oh, really? And I'm like, hell no. You know, they they let them steal it in 2020. You know, we barely overcame. Because, by the way, here's the narrative that you need to know. There's, there's always election meddling. In 2016, they were just like that 2016 actually was a landslide. But mm-hmm. because of the election interference, it looked yeah. like Hillary won the popular vote. Mm. So, you know, I would say here's here's your here's your talking points. You know, if it weren't for all those goddamn clot shots, there'd be a lot more of us Trumpers around. But we all know, like, you know, it ain't it ain't fair to cause to force a man to choose between getting an injection of some mRNA and keep his job. And, you know, I can't blame some of these people had to take that shot so they keep their jobs. But, you know, we all know what happened to him. You know what mm-hmm. happened to him. There's, we all want to fuck Bill Gates. They <laughs> they stole the election in 2016. They're going to steal it again. And if you think mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to. Make a fool out of myself voting for a rigged election. You got another fucking thing coming, pal. You need to, this is, this, these are your talking points, right? Like you need to convince all the Trumpers that you possibly can, that you are pissed about the stolen elections and you will not be participating in a rigged election system and go fucking hard because you're not going to teach yeah. them compassion. They're not going to care about immigrants. They're not going to care about women, but what they do have is a, a martyrdom complex and a persecution complex. And you need to ride the hair off those two ponies. That's it. Every single one of them who's on election day is not voting and is instead angrily posting on Reddit or 4chan or uh, Truth Social or whatever is a victory. Yes. Um, so like, I can't in good conscience give that exact advice, but I'm also not going to say it's bad advice. <laughs> because like i'm gonna be honest like i don't know what to do like i am not the right person to ask for this because i am exhausted Mm -hmm. um and like this i i know that i need to do whatever i can and i will find it in me to do whatever i can but i'm just gonna be straight up that like this podcast and like keeping myself going and making sure that I have contingency plans might be about as much as I can do. I'll do the obvious things. I'll donate. I'll knock doors. Like I'll do all that stuff, but it's mostly I'm relying. I need to rely right on my friends in the battleground States to go and do that work because like, I'm not fucking flying out to Pens. I'm not going to Pennsylvania to knock on doors because honestly, at the end of the day, I, there are some terrifying parts of Pennsylvania. There and you like, go. Putting put by the way, like uh, exhausting yourself, like exhausting yourself, putting yourself at unnecessary risk when you know, like, I don't think that we should move forward with this idea. And I, I didn't do that in 2020 either, that anyone on the Trump side is going to be moved. 
Um, like I wouldn't actually go into any of this attempting to change a vote. Um, what I would do is go at it as a person who's deeply motivated to protect the system and to protect mm -hmm. uh, voting. And so uh, I would say don't bother with the fucking campaign. I'm, I'm not super excited about voting for uh, uh, old Grandpa Joe again, but I'm going to do it. But more importantly is I think I'm probably going to finally get off my, my ass and volunteer on election day to work at the polls yeah. because that's a great one. Um, this is the new strategy on the far right. Like, trust me as a person who cannot stop staring into the rotting corpse of the right wing, um, just gawking with my jeweler's mm -hmm. loops. I want to see every little bit. Yeah. And <laughs> these people are, have moved on from, they know for a fact, um, for example, in Indiana, um, a legislator recently proposed the idea of banning free or reduced cost public transit um, on election day in Indiana. And his, are you ready? Actually, I'm going to let you guess, Matt. I want you to guess what a outer county, non-rural politician's supposed logic is behind this. So what they actually mean or what he said as the rationale? What he said as the rationale. Mm, maybe it'll prevent, it'll make it harder for illegals to be bust on mass to vote illegally in the election. Very, very close. His district doesn't have public transit. So if, um, <laughs> so if all these <laughs> urban voters can get to the polls more easily, that's an unfair advantage. So he, his exact phrasing was, I want to make sure everyone has an equal opportunity to get to the oh. polls. Because in wow. his district, there is no opportunity to use public transit to get to the polls. Wow. Ah. Oh. Man, Incredible. you know, you know, so that is the classic um, uh, Russian story of the farmer who found a magic lamp with a, and he has 11 cows and his neighbor Ivan is 12. And the genie says, oh, so you want two more cows? And he says, no, I want you to kill two of his. There you go. It's classic negative sum thinking. Yeah. Um, wow. Good, good job, dude. Why don't you just like, see, this is, this is what I mean. That like, to, for me, I'm just like, oh, let's like increase, you know, ballot access in the rural counties. You know, let's 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 make sure that they everyone in rural counties has access to the polls. Like, nah, let's just fuck the people who live in cities. That's exactly right. Oh, what a genius, genius plan. And let's oh, my fuck. Anyway, um, that's going to just that makes me so angry. That makes mm. me <laughs> so angry. Uh, <laughs> that's what I mean. Compassion fatigue. It's just like, oh, Oh, uh, like you found a problem and you just, you got it bass backwards. Now, now you really have to take a moment to think about what kind of person it takes to see that disparity and not say like, you know, I bet for one day I could get the city to sponsor some buses, right? Like that we could have like a, a shuttle loop or something, right? That's like, if there's only, if you're a small town, you probably don't have that many pre many uh, polling um, stations, right? So like, how hard could it be? Like there are pickup zones at these public, nope, nope, no, no, that helps too many people. We can't help. We must only hinder Republican party. So a positive thing. So a lot of our, a disproportionate number of our listeners are lawyers, so to all awesome. my lawyer friends out there, it's like there are going to be a lot of challenges 
on election day to voters, we know exactly who the Republicans are going to be challenging mm-hmm. at the at the polling places. I'm going to ask all my lawyer friends out there who are listening, uh, please volunteer to represent people at the polling location. Because remember, like sitting at home and like doing some paperwork, it helps a little. But mm-hmm. for a voter, right, who is scared in the moment, who is not a lawyer and does not know their rights, having you there by their side, advocating for them in the moment, which you're allowed to do, right? Just being there physically and being like, I'm a lawyer. This is not right. Like what they're doing is illegal. Let's make sure your vote gets counted. That will help so, so much. And we're Mm going to need lawyers like this in every single polling location Mm -hmm. everywhere because it's going to happen everywhere. There's going to be voter intimidation everywhere. And part of what you might be doing is kicking out the so-called, you know, about like the people who are there to inspect for election integrity and like, they're just there to intimidate people from voting. Like you're going to have to be there making sure that the laws are enforced and like, do Mm -hmm. not take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. Use all your asshole lawyer energy to like make it fucking happen. Like I want to know, this isn't going to happen to me. I'm in suburban New York now. You know what's going to (laughs) happen on election day? I'm going to go up. I'm going to show my ID. They're going to be like, Oh, Hey Matt. And then (laughs) my mom might not even, they're just going to look at my mom and be like, Hey, and like, Check her name off because they know her name. She'll go vote. No problem. No line. No issue. Right. Yep. It's crazy to me because like I mentioned, you know, I got challenged in 2012 when I was trying to vote, you know, Indiana. It's the way it is. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about this story to uh, a Trump supporter here in New York. He's like, I've never seen any of that, anything like that here. Like, I, I don't think that happens. I'm like, Yes, because your insight into suburban New York polling places, election <laughs> places, gives you so much insight into fucking Indiana elections. <sighs> so go out there. Be the asshole lawyers that we all need. I mean, truthfully, like, especially when you think about uh, the kind of people who get targeted for being prosecuted for these so-called crimes, like, just imagine the difference of having like an affidavit signed off on by an attorney, right? When that comes up for a review by a prosecutor, by something, by a lawyer, like that through the text is doing the, I'm watching you fingers. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, I'm a lawyer too, bitch. Try to get this one over on me. We would really, we America would really appreciate that from you all. And if you want pro bono hours, one of them, so in some of the local elections where, where, I, where I'm living right now, one of the biggest problems is that there is a large immigrant community, many of whom are not citizens. But I want to note that their children make up the majority of children in the school district right yep. now. All the white people, super old, no more kids. So the problem is right now is that because this contingent of people are not citizens and can't vote, the most recent la- round of local elections and possibly the elections for the House in, to, in this year are going to be decided largely by demagoguing against the immigrants in the community. That's First, correct. we need you to convince the other white people around you not to let that happen. And second, I want you to take your pro bono hours and I want you to put it into helping immigrants become citizens yep. so that their voices can be heard in the elections. So they're not just punching bags for conservative politicians Yep. so that they can actually advocate for themselves. They don't have to rely on all the white people around them, mm-hmm. that they can actually have their, their, their votes counted. They can actually have their interests uh, 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 vindicated through the ballot. 
I want you to take your hour. I don't give a shit if you're an immigration attorney. You can learn. It's not that hard. <laughs> you can learn about the, cit- the citizenship process. There's a lot of a lot of materials online that you can do. You need to do your conti- your CLEs anyway. Your continuing legal education. You need to do that anyway. Do it on citizenship. Okay. I want I, I want to make I want to hear lots of responses from our lawyer <laughs> listeners that this is what they're going to be doing. Dad has an assignment for you, okay, you guys? Like, he's going to be mad if you don't do it. Um, uh, also, um, just uh, an anecdote. It's zero degrees here, and I went to Lowe's on Sunday night because I have thermals and nice boots and a parka, and so mm. I cannot be held back by any temperature, low or high. Mm-hmm. So I went on Sunday night, day before Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and it was myself and a bunch of Mexican contractors. And those were the people who were in Lowe's at zero degrees. They had Prestone for the truck and then all the job supplies that they need to get up and do construction work tomorrow. And I had that moment standing in line and just like, these are the people that Republicans claim to hate so much. The only other people here getting stuff to go work tomorrow when everybody's going to have a day off. Because, uh, you know, didn't you know, Sarah, Mexicans are lazy. (laughs) They're not sending us their best. I don't know, Trump. It's zero degrees outside, and it's me and a bunch of people who are buying hundreds of dollars worth of American-made goods to go build what will become hundreds of thousands of dollars of American homes tomorrow. But, like, go off, King, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because, like, I've had that. Very experienced before too, <laughs> except in an opposite situation where it was hot as balls, and yeah. I needed, and I had just gotten a. Uh, 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 this is also in Indiana, a um, a window air conditioner, but yeah. it didn't quite fit the window. Mm. So I then needed to, me knowing nothing about any of this shit, had to go get boards to like yeah. adjust it and create a new uh, window ledge, and it was so fucking hot that day that the only people out there. The fucking Mexican contractors who are out there installing air conditioning, fixing air conditioning units, doing all that shit. Right? Yeah. It was me and them, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And they're just, but I measured everything, so I, yeah. I so I, I, I'm like asking around. I'm like, hey, how do you do this? And one of them fucking drilled the holes in it for me, oh! and then yeah, based on my measurements, cut it to size. And he was like, here you go. I'm like, <laughs> you are the greatest human being ever. <laughs> Thank you so much, right? And then a hero comes <laughs> along. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was it was a combination of Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You," uh, <laughs> you know, playing in my mind. Fireworks. Um, uh, it was a beautiful rom com, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and you've been together ever since. Exactly. Um, so, like. This is what I mean. Like, there are a lot of things that we can do, practical things that we can do. Like, because at the end of the day, you're right, Sarah, we're not going to persuade the Trump voters not to be Trump voters. We can persuade them to stay home. <laughs> and we can also make sure the, uh, that all, all of the votes from uh, the anti-Trump people, left and right, get counted. The one group I want to be clear about that I will be focusing on are my fellow quote unquote leftists or progressives who like refused, who will try to refuse to vote for Biden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, I get, you know, grandpa Joe is not our white knight. Nope. He ain't perfect. He ain't even close. Yeah. But like, 
you can be as ideological, strident, and far left as you want. Lord knows I am when I am not voting. When I, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I'm in my politics day to day. But we are presented with a binary choice on election day. Not great, but it's the yes. choice we got. It's the choice we got that, like, you know, the trolley problem is also is often overblown. Mm-hmm. But like, you know what? If the trolley's going to run over five people, and because there's still one person tied to the track on the other one, you say, well, I won't be complicit in killing one person. So you let the five people die by sitting on your hands. Yeah. That doesn't make you a good person. I'm sorry. Like you don't get to eschew responsibility because like not voting is a choice and you are responsible for the outcomes of that choice. I also would like to really raise up Gen Z in this moment um, because the, leftist shit takes that I see are from people my age, right? Like who are from people who are just like just risen beyond uh, the sort of bright eyed, youthful optimism in politics. And Gen Z has grown up with active shooter drills and still shooters. Like the shooter drills didn't actually help. It turns out. Yeah. Um, And Gen Z is showing up with a much greater political maturity to the polls than I have Mm -hmm. seen from my fellow 30 something leftists who are saying like, yeah, blah, 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 shut the fuck up. Like we're getting shot at in school. So like, that's cool. Your little take is super cute. Like, I love it. I'll write it down. I'll write it down. I'll read it while I'm hiding under my desk from a shooter. Like, thank you. I'll find that very comforting in that moment that you're doing ideological purity tests. But like, meanwhile, we have to have somebody who like, for example, thinks that maybe we should do what we can to not be shot at in schools. Just throwing some ideas out there. Um, And I'm just want my 30 something millennials like sometimes the kids are right about how fucking annoying we are. Like, and in this case, they got us really pegged, you guys. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out in the opposite direction to Gen X, which has become the most conservative generation. Oh. Fuck you. Mm. Yeah. Fuck you guys. You guys used to be really cool. Your detached irony, oh no, oops, I'm a Trump voter. I'm sorry, it's not It's not interesting, it's not cool, it just makes you a reactionary douchebag. The very <laughs> thing you claimed to hate back in the day, like, you have a chance though at redemption. You can have a redemption arc. You went over to the dark side, the same way I did when I first had Ayn Rand when I was 12. <laughs> and my redemption arc took about six months when, until I when I turned 13. I was like, ah, oh, she is full of shit, this is stupid. This is your chance. Like, maybe you're doing it when you're 46. Gen Z is also, I'm sorry, Gen X is fucking wild with, like, uh, that in the face of seeing Gen Z just, like, wholeheartedly reject a bunch of really, really toxic work expectations and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, staying at the office until 8 o'clock. And it's, like, you know, the people who are, like, um, excuse me, are you logging out of the meeting? And the Gen Z is, like, yeah, it's 5 p.m. Um, that's all that I'm contracted to work for. So I will be seeing you guys later. And it's like, um, actually this meeting goes to eight 30. Like, well, you guys have fun with that. I'll see you guys later. Um, and Gen Z losing their shit about it and going the like, you know, shit bag mode of like, these kids don't want to work anymore. No, you guys have been brainwashed into believing that your life starts and ends at your desk. Mm-hmm. Get over it, dog. The same way that the hippies became like the insane <laughs> boomers of today, like Gen X just sort of speed ran that. 
Um, Matt, I saw the best meme today. I saw the best meme, and it was uh, a Gen Zer made a meme of um, Ed Norton's character in Fight Club, and he's like, "This is a real fucking movie. Like, my life is too stable. My corporate job is too stable, and it's making me crazy." And a bunch of people liked it. Burn, got him, Gen Z, got him. Yeah. It really, it really is true. There, there's a great meme of like, you know, of young men. There's a, they face a fork in the road and one fork is misunderstanding Fight Club and the other fork is misunderstanding Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim's a loser, douchebag, selfish asshole. That's why Nega Scott's a really nice guy. Right. Scott Pilgrim is the antagonist in the movie, not the protagonist until yeah. he grows up at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I'm just making that clear. Do not emulate Scott Pilgrim. He's an asshole. Yeah, do um, not um, emulate uh, uh, Tyler Durden and what's the actual character's name? I don't think he actually has one. No, though I have to say that if the the uh, Fight Club theory of uh, Ferris Bueller is one of my favorite movie <laughs> theories of all time. And the so you know the way that Tyler Durden's not real is actually just Ed Norton's character the whole way through, right? <laughs> this is one in which there is no Ferris Bueller. It's just Gordy. <laughs> Um, I know that there are inconsistencies with the film as it is, but watching it with that in mind is very funny. Oh, um, especially so the parade scene. Doing. Yes, exactly. Incredible. Uh, yeah, amazing. Anyway, I'm just saying, like, there are still material things that you, that we can do. Um, even though I, I mean, this was ostensibly an analysis of Iowa, but again, like. <laughs> It's just not a particularly interesting outcome in the sense of, I mean, yes, it's interesting in the sense of, oh my God, the meteor that's going to destroy us all is back. Um, but like not unsurprising. Yeah. Um, but there are still things that we can do. And like when, when people talk about being allies, right. I just saw American fiction uh, uh, over the weekend and great movie. By the way, Jeffrey Wright is fantastic. It's a wonderful little film. And all the white people in there, interestingly enough, are like constantly to, like wanting to be allies, but they're constantly just silencing all the people of color around them. Perfect. Uh, most shown at a book, uh, a book award where the two black members of the panel are just like, I don't want to give it to this pandering bullshit, terrible, quote unquote, black book. And the three white people are just like, no, that's the number one book. And we really think it's important to listen to black voices right now Incredible. as they literally silence the black people in front of them. Incredible. If you want to be an ally, <laughs> we don't need performative allyship. We don't need your guilt. We don't need your self-flagellation. What we need is your action. Yeah. Right. Thank you. If you're a left winger out there who like wants to be an ally, but like is going to write in Bernie you know like that is not what we need we need you to bite the bullet and vote for biden if you that's what being an ally is if you motherfuckers pull 2016 again i will not rest until every one of your farts are sharts and i don't know how many witches i'll have to get together but i promise you if you pull the shit every fart will be wet from the time you check that box to the day you die no, that is a really, really, really good curse to put on Fuck someone. Yeah, it is. How is there not a Stephen King novel about that? Every Fart is Wet by Stephen <laughs> yeah. King. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's not thinner, it's wetter. <laughs> Every fart gets progressively wetter, just slowly over time. 
And your death fart is just all of your insides just kind of splooshing out all at once. Yeah, and in a beautiful animated Technicolor style. It'll, oh. <sighs> I'm ready. I think we figured it out. Hollywood, um, I'm ready for the option. So, speaking of things that are Hollywood ready, <laughs> Metal Honey, <laughs> tell us about it. What's going on this winter? Well, we did have two very exciting reformulations. Uh, we have a sweet and sour, spicy sweet and sour sauce called So It Goes, T-S-O mm-hmm. It Goes. A little uh, tribute to Vonnegut, uh, Indianapolis native. Um, it is now sweeter, tangier. It's a little bit less spicy. It was a little crazy at first. Uh, mm-hmm. No shade. So it has been improved in every single way. For January, it is uh, $10 all month long. Same thing with our old-fashioned scorpion hot sauce, which is a vinegar, southern-style vinegar-based hot sauce. All the flavors of the old-fashioned cocktail minus the bourbon. Um, and also, four-ounce bottles of scorpion honey are also on sale for 10 bucks. That's just for January. Please help me pay my rent next month. Oh, <laughs> Lord, have mercy. It's going to be tight, but I, I know we can do it. Yeah, I know that we can. And I just have to say that, like, <laughs> if you are one of those people looking to get, like, the beautiful deliciousness of your Chinese takeout, but without having to eat deep fried shit and sugar, like just like pure uh, unadulterated high fructose corn syrup, you know, all you need is a brush, some chicken and some, so it goes that like you, you got it right there. You just brush it on and you pop that baby in the oven and you got it right there. And it's better for you. And pro tip, it tastes better. So yeah. if you want an easy, fast way to satisfy your boo or a prospective boo, mm. and mm. you got no time, mm-hmm. there you go. Popcorn chicken into the air fryer, pop it out, toss it so it goes back into the air fryer about two minutes, and you're ready to go. Some white rice, you're, you're on it, you're set. I mean, there is nothing fancier than making something that you know someone already loves, Fuck yeah. but making a better, healthier, tastier, homemade version of it. Yeah. And this one's fast and easy. You got and you're supporting small business. Also, please help me pay my <laughs> rent. Oh my God. That that's our primary call to action. Help Sarah pay her rent. Uh, we, <laughs> dear listeners, please. Let's do this. <laughs> I, I own my home outright and then I sign myself up for more rent like a fucking idiot. So anyway. <laughs> So, to help support the show, uh, please like, subscribe, share, uh, leave a comment or a question. Um, If you don't like it, um, don't leave a rating or a review. Mm -hmm. If you do like it, do leave a rating or a review. It helps us with the algorithm. Go to the platform formerly known as Twitter, at PerpStew. Leave us a comment, a topic. (laughs) What do you want us to talk about next? What are your uh, horrible fears of doom in 2024? What are you going to be doing to help avoid the media, to push the meteor off course so we don't all end up like the dinosaurs. Yes, I want to hear um, your script. I want to hear your script for telling other Trump, for telling Trump voters not to vote. I just want to know. Yeah, or or you can, you know, if you want, you can leave. I, if you want to read it, I will figure out a way. If you really want to, let me know. I'll figure out a way for you to, to get that on air. And we will, yeah. the best one we will we will put into an episode. Yes. Um. But that's going to do it for us uh, this week. This has been The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.